Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. This Wednesday we uh, celebrated Ash Wednesday, and uh, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the Lenten season. And the church calendar, uh, the season of Lent, is a time of looking forward and preparing oneself um, as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter. And uh, there's, a, there's a shift in our attitudes and postures, or there, there should be a shift in our attitudes and postures. And it's very definitely a shift in Jesus' attitude uh, as we find ourselves in this portion of the narrative in Luke. And Jesus has now shifted his gaze very specifically to Jerusalem. And he's just finished his interaction with the rich young ruler, and uh, now he's telling his disciples that he's going off to Jerusalem. Um, and how, how many of you have heard the phrase, walk with me? Right? And, and it's always kind of a power play because the, there's always someone that's walking along and is giving you just 30 seconds of their time and, and you're kind of going after them, listening to them. And th- this is not the kind of walk with me that Jesus is talking with his disciples. This is, this is a walk with me as we go towards Jerusalem because you're about to see some amazing things. So we pick up in Luke 18, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It'll be on the screens. So he's just finished his interaction with the rich young ruler, and taking the twelve, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he'll be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, followed him, and glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Then he entered Jericho, and as he was passing through, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, this is the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also 
the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. We look at this, uh, this narrative, this portion of scripture, and we see that Jesus continues to obliterate the idea that status means access. That there is a sense in which your power, your honor structure, the authority that you have within a community um, somehow limits your access to him. We have another awkward situation. Remember two weeks ago, I was talking about the children that were brought to Jesus. Another awkward situation where, where Jesus' posse is trying to prevent people from coming to him. We know that this happened multiple times. We know that when the woman wanted to wash Jesus' feet, there was a sense of actually saying, no, no, you, you can't do this. When the woman had the issue of blood and wanted to touch Jesus' garment, there was a sense of, no, you can't do this. When the children wanted to come to him, there was a sense of trying to restrict access to him. Yet what we see over and over and over in the Gospel of Luke is that it's the, quote, unworthy, and even in, in uh, the language, the expendables, that seem more able to identify who Jesus is, that seem more able to exhibit faith in Jesus, and therefore are the ones that are entering the kingdom, whereas the ones that think they are in the kingdom are consistently being challenged by Jesus. We have two stories here, and one, the man is limited by his physical blindness. He's, he's kind of a draw on the community. He exists at the kindness of the community. The other one is an enemy of Israel. He is an oppressor, and he is making a lot of money off the backs of the Israelites. And what I love in this section is that Jesus, is his, his focus and his attention is both on the oppressed and the oppressor, on the powerful and the powerless, with this one main idea, you have to understand your lostness, you have to understand your blindness. I've called uh, this morning, I, I see you. Now, how many of you have heard that term, I see you? It's those three words where the tone inflection can mean something very, very different. I see you means I know what you've done. I see you, like in that horror movie, means like you should be afraid because someone is stalking you. I see you. Or I see you uh, with a sense of like, I, I, I see who you are. I know who you are. You are known to me. I can see you. It can be good. It can be bad. It can create anxiety. It can create fear or shame or can create the sense of like someone knows me. And so when, when Jesus looks and says, I, I see you, Zacchaeus, I see you, there's the sense of like, I wonder how he saw him. There's a lot of irony in this passage regarding the idea of sight and vision and perspective. There's the blind man who can see and recognize more than the disciples can. There's this short ruler who wants to see but is unable to see. And there is the Savior that sees the seeker. And so the question I'm hoping to answer this morning is how do these approaches to Jesus form our faith, and not only form our faith, but how do they form the response that we should have to others in the world? I think the first thing is one of a bold expectation. We have to approach Jesus with a sense of bold expectation. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is buying past, sorry, is passing by, buying past. I don't know what that is. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Now remember at the beginning, Jesus is saying to his disciples, I need to go to Jerusalem in order to fulfill everything that the prophets have said. This blind man recognizes that. This blind man says, Jesus, son of David, of the line of David, the person that was going to restore the kingdom of David, this is who that is. I'm crying out for mercy. He's coming to Jesus and he's expecting not aloofness, not a sense of being judgmental. He is expecting a kind and gracious man that speaks and acts with authority. He suddenly realizes as a blind man, this is my chance. This is my chance where everything can change. Just like the widow, he has a very hostile response. You remember the parable that Jesus told where she's knocking on the door and the judge is saying to her, go away, go away, and she keeps knocking. He has an actual hostile response. The, The word there is not, hey, buddy, kind of, it's a little inappropriate for you to be talking like that. No, those words mean shut up, shut your mouth. That's what the crowd is saying to him when he says that. He's, it's, it's not this kind thing. And then it gets worse because those two words are different. They're the same in English, but they're different in the Greek. The one word in verse 38 says a loud shout. He shouted loudly. They say to him, shut up, shut your mouth. So then what does he do? In the Greek, it says an instinctual, guttural scream of emotion. He ups the ante. He says, there's no way Jesus is going to go past without me having an opportunity to say, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. He has nothing to lose. What does he have to lose? He has no income. He has no sight. He's one of the expendable unworthies. And this is his opportunity where he cries out for mercy. I think maybe part of our problem is that we think we have more to lose. That there's a lot of things going for us in our own minds. And the desperation to cry out to Jesus to see our lives changed is maybe not what it was for the blind man. I love this. Jesus stops everything. And he commands the man to be brought to him. I remember, like I said, I see you. Those three words have a very different experience based on the tonal inflection. The words come here are the same, right? You can say, come here. You can say, come here. Every time I say, come here to Bono, he just, he just goes like this. He knows he's, he's done something wrong. Or I can say, come here, and then he just comes running and bounding. And so I don't know what the tone was that Jesus said, but it says that he commanded him to be brought to him. And this is the same where Jesus stops everything for one person. The woman with the issue of blood, he stops everything for one person. This is a man who has told his disciples that for the good of humanity and the restoration of all things, I must head to Jerusalem. There is something that I need to accomplish. This is what the prophets have led, um, have, have taught us. This is the fulfillment of the prophets. This is my mission. And yet someone is crying out for mercy and Jesus stops everything and says, come here. He's going to exhibit the two keys when it comes to the kingdom for Jesus. God's kindness for the individual and his authority and power. This is one of the things that blows my mind about God. The God that spun the universe into existence actually cares about me. 
This, this whole idea of the transcendent God and yet the imminent God. And this is what we see in this portion. The question gives me a little bit of pause. Where Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Thankfully, it wasn't me because I would be like, really? I think that's kind of obvious. I'm blind. Are you blind? Because I can't see. And I often wondered, this isn't the first time that Jesus has asked someone, what do you want? Or what do you seek of me? Or, or, or not how can I help you, but what is it that you want me to do? And he says, I, I want to recover my sight. I want to be able to see. And Jesus says to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. There's, there's something powerful in expressing our need that activates faith in us. Especially if you're a follower of Jesus, and even if you're not, there's there's the sense of actually saying, I need something from you. Why? Because he's done two things. The blind man has recognized who Jesus is, Jesus, son of David, and knows he has the power to act like the Messiah. And those are two key things that are happening in this portion of Scripture. This is what Scripture is trying to highlight for us, is do we recognize who Jesus is, And do we know what our need is to be able to ask him for that? Ultimately, Jesus packages this very neatly. He says, the ultimate need is the lostness of humanity. Because I came to seek and save the lost. Because Jesus could have said, like he did in Luke, right at the beginning, he, he read the passage of Scripture of Isaiah, which was one of the prophets, saying, I've come to open blind eyes, I've come to unstop deaf ears, to release prisoners from their captivity. I've come to do all of those things. But encapsulated in this last verse in this portion of Scripture, I came to seek and save the lost. This is also a massive lesson for this crowd. Shut up. Shut your mouth. And now Jesus says, come here. Now, depending which side of the crowd you're on, you're like, yeah, Jesus is going to show him about interrupting him of whatever he was saying. And now he comes and his focus and his attention, and he is now healed. This unworthy, expendable, blind beggar is healed. You would think that the crowd has learned their lesson. They haven't. Because we know how they respond when Zacchaeus sees Jesus. We shift the narrative now. So he's outside uh, Jericho. He kind of enters Jericho, and now the character of Zacchaeus comes to the foreground. Now, it's important to recognize a couple things about Jericho. It was a very wealthy and important town. And it was a very fertile place, and it was a trade center. Now, remember when we talked about tax collectors? Uh, They were kind of independent contractors. The Roman government would say, this is how much money you owe us at the end of the month. Whatever you make on top of that, that's up to you. That's why tax collectors were often very, very wealthy people. That's why they were hated. Uh, They were hated not only because they were puppets of the Roman government, but because everyone knew that they abused that position to enrich themselves. What better place to do this than in Jericho? Scripture tells us that he was very wealthy. He was rich. But we also know that he was alone. And it's easy to understand why this man is alone. He's rejected by the race that he came from, by his Jewish people. Now, we know that he is Jewish because Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. 
Now, he's rejected by them, and his only friends are other tax collectors. He's a chief tax collector. And I don't know how much friendship there was between a tax collector and their boss. So he's not really Jewish. He's not really welcomed there. He can't really be Roman because in, all, in, in order to get real status and power, you needed to be born into that status and power. Now, on the East Coast, people tell me that's old money, right, on the East Coast. You know, and it was that kind of idea. It's like, yeah, you may have money, but it's not old money. And so here he is. He's not part of the establishment. He's seen as an oppressor. He, he just doesn't fit in. But there's also a problem with the crowd. There's a physical problem in the sense that he's a little guy and he can't see. Uh, there's uh, one, of the, uh, one of the sports directors here at the, the YMCA. He's a little less than average height. And he was talking to me the other day, and he says, you know, every now and then I kind of I sneak back into the back here. And he says, do you know something? Then on average, you have a very tall congregation. <laughs> I, like I can hardly see that, you know. <laughs> so Sean is like, like to balance that out. there we go. <laughs> Sean, Sean says he kind of brings our average down, you know what I mean? He said that, I didn't, you know. But there's, there's a physical problem in the sense that he's not going to be able to see. There's also a sociological problem or societal problem. This is a crowd of people where he's not going to be welcomed. Now, this is a crowd of people that see him as exactly what he is, a friend of Rome. He is despised by this group. Being in this crowd is uncomfortable at best, potentially dangerous for him to be in this crowd. He knows this. No one is going to want to get out of his way so that he can see Jesus. My wife always is um, intrigued by the fact that when I'm driving in the road and it's crowded, there's a traffic jam, there are these idiots, and if you're one of them, you are, I'm sorry, <laughs> who uh, use the shoulder of the road, right, to kind of gain access. And so what I do is I just shift my car... <laughs> Like over. And then and what happens is the other cars in front of me and behind me are like, oh yeah, let's do that. And everyone kind of shifts over so that the idiot who's trying to barrel through on the shoulder um, can't do that. Now, why am I telling you that story? Because you shouldn't do that. But but I'm not making space for that person. I tell you, another person that I will make space for is a guy on a motorbike. Why? Because I've driven a motorbike. The guy's on a motorbike. He's made a wise decision. He is, well, I think he has. Um, but he's not doing anything wrong. So in my mind, I will give this guy space through the crowd in terms of the motorbike, but I'm not going to give this person because I don't like him. You know, because what he's doing is wrong. And he's going to get there ahead of me, I think is the real reason. <laughs> So he chooses this tree, and I think the choice of the tree is interesting because I think he chose it for two reasons. One, obviously we know Scripture said he wanted to get up to be able to see it, but the tree is also a tree full of foliage. And I think there's, there's a possibility that he chose this tree not only as a vantage point, but as a hiding point as well. That I'll be able to actually get up into this tree and I'll be able to see Jesus, and no one will actually see me where, when I'm in that tree. 
Scripture doesn't say that. I just think it might be interesting to note. I, I will say this, though. Um, it had to have been a pretty interesting sight, seeing a short little businessman run to the tree and clamber up it. Now, remember, they're not wearing pants, so just picture that for a while, okay? And then, or maybe not a while, just, just remember that. One of the things someone taught me, and it, it, was, it was early on, it was my first job, um, there was a, a, a director's meeting, and um, it's interesting, when directors walk into the room, they walk slow. It's kind of like a power thing, you know? You don't find, like, directors scurrying. I spend most of my life scurrying. I definitely don't have this power walk thing. But then people walk into the room, and they're going to be late. They don't care. They need to be there half the time. There's this kind of power slow walk that people with power and authority and honor have. And I can only imagine that this was the opposite of what was happening with Zacchaeus. Running to the tree, clambering up this tree so that he could see Jesus. But the Savior sees him. In verse 5, Jesus comes to the place. He looks up. And he says, Zacchaeus. I don't even know how he knew his name. I mean, not only did he see him, but he knows him. And he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. This is quite a break culturally. You know, the, the honor culture of, uh, of, of Middle Eastern culture in those days, the traveler would never impose for hospitality. It actually was the duty of someone with a similar honor class to invite that person to stay for the night. And this is not just a pop-in. This is lodging. Um, there's a very high likelihood that, that Jesus and his disciples would have stayed there um, that evening. This is, uh, this is an amazing thing where Jesus looks at him, sees him, knows his name. How many of you have had this experience? It's not your birthday. It's not Christmas. But you receive a gift from someone that says, I know who you are. For me, it was a friend of mine who doesn't like football but had access to charger tickets that said, hey, do you want to come with me to this game? I'm like, I felt seen and I felt known. There are so many opportunities for us to do that for others, but in this case, where Jesus looks at this man with a sense of curiosity that is a pariah, that actually says, I not only see you and know you, but I want, to, I want you to know that I want to know you more. I want to spend more time with you. And we come to the crowd that has learned a very valuable lesson about how to treat people, right? And the crowd rejoices at Jesus' grace and mercy. And they are so overwhelmed that Jesus has seen the goodness in this man. That's not what happens at all. In verse 7, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The expectation of the crowd, I'm sure, would have been something like this. Zacchaeus, you are an unclean Roman collaborator and a thief. You have betrayed your God. You have betrayed Israel. You have enriched yourself on the backs and the misery of your countrymen. You are a sinful enemy of God, and you need ritual purification. 
Now, the crowd, I'm sure, would have rejoiced had Jesus said that. But Jesus doesn't say that. He calls him down. Sometimes I think we're a little afraid when we hear the voice of Jesus saying, I see you. He's saying, I see you, I know you, and we hear it like, I see you. The thing is, though, it is both. There is a deep knowledge of who we are and a deep affection every time Jesus says, I see you. I think sometimes we can be worried, we can be offended when we look at the kinds of people that Jesus extends his grace to. We look at the kinds of people Jesus extends his grace to that have hurt us. Because this was the reality for a lot of the Jewish crowd. This is a person that has abused me. Now Jesus is going to stay with him. There's two powerful truths about entering into the kingdom that we take from this. And the one is a very simple one. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Rick read this morning from Hebrews And the writer of Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. This is a blind man that, that exhibited for us a bold, unpolished, desperate faith and recognized his need for Jesus. And I think sometimes we're too embarrassed to admit our need for him. Sometimes we've been silenced by the crowd, by culture, tells us to shut up. Sometimes we're comfortable not being seen. We're not sure how he's going to respond to this. Sometimes we just want to maintain our dignity when we hear Jesus calling. Ultimately, though, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Zacchaeus stands and says to the Lord, I don't know whether this was in his home or whether just as he comes down from the tree, but he stands there and he says, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of everything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, this is important. Remember the rich young ruler? What was the issue? Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, sell all your goods and follow me. What happens? Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I see you. What does Zacchaeus do? Sells everything. He says, says, that's it. I give half my stuff to the poor. Not everything. I don't even have time to go into that. But I will restore fourfold what I've stolen. There's this sense of recognizing God's kindness draws repentance out of me. Not only does God's kindness draw repentance, it draws restitution out. Jesus says salvation has come to this house not because there was restitution happening. Because the end of the rich young ruler narrative says this. Do you remember last week what the disciples said? The disciples says, well, who then can be saved? Jesus says, it is harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. It's hard to say, who then can be saved? Jesus answers the question in Zacchaeus' house. Today, salvation has come. Why? Because I am in the house. 
not because of restitution, not because of repentance, but because of kindness and grace and mercy, someone has seen that and responded in kind. Restitution is not necessary for salvation. Repentance is. Recognizing who Jesus is is necessary. Restitution and repentance are different. Repentance is saying, I understand that the way, pattern, decisions that I've made in my life are wrong, and I'm choosing to live a different way, which is what he's done. Restitution is the paying back of that sin. Restitution is not necessary. It may be something that God calls you to, if you've hurt someone, if you've defrauded someone, or there's something, but it isn't a required thing. Repentance is Zacchaeus' restitution went way beyond what the law was. And it's important for us to recognize in this, as Paul says to the Romans, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Or do you presume, Paul says to the Roman church, do you presume or do you have contempt for or do you despise the riches of his kindness, of his forbearance, and of his patience? not knowing that God's kindness is what leads you to repentance. This is critical, church. His kindness doesn't hide our sin. His kindness deals with our sin. That's important. It's not the sense of actually saying, don't worry, it's okay. No, it isn't. Don't worry, no one will find about it. No, they will. It is, it will be okay. Because the reason I'm going to Jerusalem is to deal with this sin problem. The reason I'm going to Jerusalem is so that I can pay for the penalty of your sins, that I can break the power of your sin. This, it would not be kind if Jesus just hid our sin and didn't pay for it. Again, like I said, there's something powerful about someone who loves you unconditionally. But there's something earth-shattering about someone who knows every little thing about you, every hidden thought, every hidden action, every dark place in you that still loves you unconditionally. It's that kind of love and kindness that draws repentance out of us. Band, you can come up. For Christ followers... I think there's two important things that we need to look at this, and one is in terms of our own lives, our own culture of inclusion and invitation. I mean, the crowd had this completely wrong, both times. Both times there was this blind man who couldn't offer anything to Jesus, and then there was this sinner that they wanted to keep away from Jesus. I think what we've got to ask ourselves is, are, we, are our eyes open to be able to include those that are awkward and that are embarrassing how welcoming are we to those that we believe or the world believes are expendable or outcasts? We also need to raise a level of inclusion, I mean, uh, of invitation, just as simple as an invitation to your home. Karen knows this. I've invited myself to other people's houses. I'm not Jesus. I'm not saying I'm going to bring <laughs> salvation. I, I, I'm just saying it, part, of, part of us being in the kingdom is... What we, what the way in which we interact with our world shows something of that kingdom. A culture of invitation means a, a, an invitation to your home, to a life group, to the gathering, just to sit and listen to someone. It means an invitation to um, 
push into our time and our reputation. It means an invitation to, to look and truly see people so that we can see them come to Jesus. Are we looking for people that are hidden up in trees? Just curious. Just maybe wanting to see Jesus. Are we looking for those that are desperate and saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Are we even looking for people whose lives are so opposite to the way in which we would live our lives, like Zacchaeus, rejoicing that they come to a place of mercy and grace? And for the seeker, maybe you're here this morning and you're, you have some kind of general faith. Now, it's not a general faith that pleases God. It's a faith in Jesus that pleases God. Jesus is the Son of God. That's what the beggar realized that the disciples didn't realize. Or maybe you are just curious, an onlooker. Maybe about you, you're worried about what you've done, what you think. Maybe you're worried about how you'll be received. I don't know whether Zacchaeus saw the crowd's response to the beggar. It certainly would have, wouldn't have engendered confidence in me. Seeing the crowd respond to the beggar, Maybe that's why he hid up in the tree. Maybe like Zacchaeus, you actually have a pretty nice life. You've got everything you need. You've got more money than you know what to do with. You've got a great career. But something is just not right. Jesus is here. Now, whether you're utterly convinced of your need, like the blind beggar, or whether you're still curious, Jesus is here. Jesus sees you, and He calls you. Just like He called the blind man to stand in front of Him, just like He called Zacchaeus. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank You. I want to thank You that on the cross, You looked... And you saw the hostility and rejection of the crowd. And you took all that hostility and rejection willingly. I want to thank you that on the cross, you looked down and you forgave that same crowd that was crucifying you. I want to thank you that on that cross, you looked and you said, it is finished. I pray, Spirit of God, this morning, and whether we are followers of Jesus or whether we are seekers, whether we are desperate and we know our desperation, or whether we're fearful or whether we're proud, I want to pray that we would be able to see you more clearly this morning. That we would see you in your beauty. That we would see you in your kindness that we would also see you in your power and in your authority. Spirit of God, I pray that you would come and that you would enable us to hear Jesus' voice calling out to us. That we're enabled to experience whether for the first time or just a refreshing 
the reality that we are sought and we are found. We are no longer blind. Our eyes have been opened. We are no longer lost. You have found us. Jesus, you see us so deeply. Spirit of God, just move in our hearts. Thanks, Nick. Really, it's just beautiful. I'm just thinking about that whole scene and the reality that Jesus sees us. We started talking about that this morning. Um, Honestly, I didn't even know exactly what Nick was going to be teaching on. It's just... We get to come now to the table. There's a table. And as Nick was preaching, it just reminds me this table is a table of kindness and reality. It's beautiful because sin was dealt with, not ignored or pretending as if it didn't exist. The, the table of the Lord is beautiful because there's kindness in it because he has dealt with sin. And we get an opportunity to come and to participate to partake of his body and his blood to be reminded that he does see you right where you are and for those in Christ he sees you through Christ and sin is dealt with and so no matter where you're at this morning uh, as we take I'm going to release you to grab the elements the the bread and the cup And you're going to be able to take communion kind of on your own. The band's going to continue to play. There's going to be people to my left, to your right, that are available to pray with you because sometimes it's also good to be seen by somebody else uh, and to pray together. If there's something that you need prayer for, uh, don't leave without, uh, without that opportunity. But I'm going to release you to grab the elements. The band is going to begin to play. And I want you to step in and realize that God does see you. Ask him. Respond to him. Is there something that you need to tell him to exchange? I love the table of the Lord. It's a great exchange. We get to take from him life, and we get to give to him whatever it is that we're holding on to. Uh, so don't miss that, that opportunity. That's a, that's a life-giving opportunity. So go ahead and, go ahead and do that, and the band's going to continue to play. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your, man, just your faithfulness, your kindness, your goodness. Uh, We thank you that we have been picked up and delivered from just darkness and, and death and sin. And you have delivered us into the kingdom of, of your son, the kingdom of light and life and Lord, as we await the fullness of the resurrection, you have given us your spirit and you have given us your church and we live in grace. And I thank you that your your desire and your intention and your will is that we continue to be sanctified and changed and growing and grow up into the image of who Jesus is. And so, Lord, we ask and just give ourselves to you again and say, Lord, have your way in us. Uh, We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word that has been implanted in us. We thank you that it is at work in us. We love you. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.